0: This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio
1: app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.
2: On Money Talks, we discuss money news and take your questions about personal finance. For 15 years, we've provided free financial information for Mississippians. I hope you can join me, Dr. Nancy lotridge Danderson, co-host of Money Talks, Tuesdays at 9 a.m. or anytime on our podcast
0: from mpb think radio this is deep south dining the show all about the culture of southern flavor and the folks that love to stir the pot good morning malcolm white here with chef Enrica williams today carol is Away, so Chef Enrica will join me in the studio today. We'll be your guides through this conversation. Today, our special guest is cookbook author Dale Gray, who takes readers and home cooks to a very unique culinary tour through the South in her new cookbook, South of Somewhere, from South Africa to South Korea, and now the American South. Dale shares her love for food and culture by chronicling her path across the globe. Today we will talk about the ties of the southern regions across the globe and how they connect. Ah, yes. It's Monday morning on MPB Think Radio. It's Deep South Dining. Malcolm White here with Chef Enrica Williams. Hello, Chef.
1: Hey, Malcolm.
0: Thanks for being here.
1: Oh, you know it's always a... A good time to be here. Thank you for having me back.
0: Yeah, you were here two weeks ago when I was Mm -hmm. in New Orleans, and now Mm -hmm. Carol is away, and you have yet returned.
1: I have. As long as you have me, I'm returning.
0: We'll always have
3: you.
1: I'm always returning.
0: Well, good. That's settled. (laughs) Happy Yom Kippur uh, to all of our Jewish listeners Mm -hmm. and friends of uh, the Jewish faith. Um, We are glad to be here. And today, later on in the show, we will have special guests. Del Gray is here. Dale lives in Brookhaven, Mississippi, though she mm-hmm. is far and away not from there. Uh, we will learn more about that as the show unfolds. But meanwhile, I brought all of you a bag of boiled peanuts uh, this morning, and I will tell you, these are the very first peanuts I've ever boiled. Mm. Uh, I've eaten a lot of boiled peanuts, and uh, but mostly they were prepared by others, including family members and those that uh, sell their Wears along the, the highways and the byways. But I got a bag of green uh, peanuts from uh, Crystal Springs the other day, a whole giant sack. Mm. And I had to dry them myself, which I've never done. Put them out on the deck for a couple of days, got them dried out, and then I parched or roasted part of them and I boiled part of them. So this is an experiment. And, uh, you know, you never get too old to learn about things.
1: I mean, I I love um, boiled peanuts. Are you more of a spicy peanut or are you just like a salty?
0: You will see from the bag that is before you, things. it is a more salty than spicy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't like the Cajun spice or the hot to override the peanut, Mm -hmm. nor do I like the salt to override. Mm -hmm. So I experimented again. This is my first batch, and I'll be working on it. I've got more peanuts to roast, parch, and or boil. Mm -hmm. But these, again, this was my very first
3: batch, so y'all tell me later on. I
0: totally about I love
1: boiled peanuts. I know
3: I'm going to get a little bit of flack for this this morning, but boy, why are you looking at me like that, Because this is,
1: I know this is about to be <laughs> No, because
3: <Why? laughs> boiled peanuts uh, have always been associated with older individuals Absolutely. with myself yeah yes. it's always a, an older gentleman snack as i would say because my father he loves boiled peanuts uh, myself put me on myself my not so much a fan yeah. but i will i will partake though i will partake so only <laughs> old folks eat i just peanuts. recently got uh, into the
1: boiled peanuts because uh-huh. my father loved peanuts period and when i started um as a chef, and I found we used to do boiled peanuts at Parlor Market. And when I found out how to season and flavor them really good, and so I was like, "Dad, you need to try these boiled peanuts." And that was just like the best thing to him because he usually likes his like the roasted, mm-hmm. very clean, right. and he would have like a Coca Cola. Which there you said go. that was the um that was the early um Red Bull when you eat peanuts and Coke mm. right. for um sugar. Right, For, that's know, right. But, yeah, so um, to, to get your
0: JoJo on. Yeah,
1: yeah. So, but I just I love boiled peanuts, and they have a really good vendor here at the um, the Mississippi Farmers Market. I think it's Bobcat mm. Farms, okay. and they do, but they they do plain and they do the spicy boiled. Got gotcha. you. I like the spicy. Well, most do, and I think that's yeah. good. They offer a variety, so. Uh,
0: but anyway, growing up, you know, my uncle grew them and, and cooked them. My grandfather loved them. And you're right, now that I'm old and in the way, uh, <laughs> I uh, also. <laughs>
1: yeah, you add, you're adding things oh, now. <laughs> no <laughs> way. A, I didn't say that. You know. I now like Dale, the way you say the gentleman's uh-huh. old oh, yeah. gentleman he, snack. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, it's, it very was very politically a, yeah, correct. It was very kind. It was very
2: sweet.
0: Dale, well, what about you and the peanuts? Have you embraced that Southern tradition yet?
2: This would actually be the first time that I'm trying these. Okay. I'm really excited. I see them a lot here. I've just never ventured into them.
0: Good, good. So there you got it. We'll get a real uh, first-timers view of the Mm -hmm. old boiled peanut. So, Enrica, what's going on uh, in your kitchen these days?
1: Um, So I I am back doing dinners. It's been a while. I took some time off. To just recollect myself. Um, But I do have a dinner coming up. It's um, October 13th. It's called Native Tongue, and it's going to be at the Orchid Bed and Breakfast, which is downtown Jackson on State Street at the old um, Bowie House. But it's now a bed and breakfast. It is a beautiful beautiful space Um, and I'm doing a dinner and I'm calling it Native Tongue because um, a lot of the things that I've done, you know, I kind of I still have like the inspiration of things, but I wanted to just like really get back to the things that I learned and where I really cut my teeth. And that's like fine dining, cooking, going to culinary school. Um, Native Tongue is also the name of a collaborative group of um, rappers that in the 80s and 90s, I'm totally dating myself. But again, it's okay. (laughs) Um, I was a teenager and Native Tongue was just like the music made me feel less weird and accepted oh, okay. as an awkward. So, um, so it's just, it's fun. Um, it's gonna be seven courses. Um, we're gonna have a wine pairing and also music to just kind of reflect that. So it's just, uh, it's just, it's like a, it's my like cotillion. I'm coming back out into the, <laughs> co- the culinary scene. So that's it.
0: So to make reservations for this Absolutely. event, how how does one know So, this? we
1: have a couple of it's on Eventbrite under um Native Tongue and it's also on Facebook. It has its own page for an event and there's also a link on um Chef Enrica hmm. on Instagram as well as on Facebook. I've been sharing that. So I would love right. to see new faces so we can talk about food and understand um my process great. together. Well,
0: it sounds great. Uh, Thank you. Hope that uh, some of our listeners uh, who follow you will, absolutely. Will join I would you love to see them on this event. Now, Java, you were away uh, last week. You were up in Philadelphia at a conference, I believe.
3: Yeah, we had a public radio conference, and um, I was able to go up there and spend some time with my public radio colleagues from around the country, mm. and it was a great time. And I had I had never been to uh, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania before, so you know I dove headfirst into Cheese State Country, mm. and I ate my weight <laughs> i shouldn't say that but i did i tried three different cheesesteaks just how the the week went mm-hmm. and i was able to eat at a place called Ishka Bibbles and get a cheesesteak and if i could rate it it was about a three out of five okay you mm-hmm. know and then i went to the world famous gino's steak uh cheesesteak place and it was kind of different because they did the cheese whiz Mm -hmm. which Mm -hmm. is the traditional philly Mm -hmm. style and it was about a Uh, (laughs) 3.5 but then my last day there i was able to go with a a friend from alabama public radio and we went to a place called angelo's pizzeria Mm -hmm. in south philly Mm -hmm. And if I would have known how far I had to walk before I started the journey, (laughs) I might not have gotten the best cheesesteak I ate while in Philadelphia. So, you know, this Gino's, Pat's, there's a place called Max's where everybody, like all the Uber drivers was like, you got to try these places, try these places. But the last day we went to a place, Angelo's Pizzeria in South Philly. This is a cash only place now. Mm -hmm. And it was a line for lunch. So you just lets you know that you know it was the the place to be
0: that's right. those two things will tell you a lot mm-hmm. if they take cash only mm-hmm. and cash if only. there's a line out front when you get there,
3: <laughs> yeah, and everybody was cool about waiting like it was just understood uh-huh. you know like hey, you're waiting how long you been here about ten fifteen minutes okay, cool, you've been here about thirty minutes okay, cool it's just it was okay to wait for Angelo's uh Uh, Philly cheesesteaks. Cool.
0: Well, this weekend I went up to Boonville, Mississippi, where I Mm -hmm. went to high school and attended the homecoming events and festivities around the homecoming game. And uh, we had a big tailgate. Mm -hmm. And uh, the most interesting and best food that I ate at the tailgate was a properly grilled hot dog. Mm -hmm. And I'm not talking about some... You know.
1: Some char was on it.
0: It was sliced, slitted, and charred so that the char not only hit the exterior, but it went inside a little bit. Do you ever sear your dogs or sausages before you cook them? Uh, yes. Dale, you know such a phenomenon?
2: Oh, yes. We absolutely do in South Africa. Cooking over an open flame is quite popular, and so that's my preferred method of cooking here in the States.
0: Good deal. Mm-hmm. So... it. It was the hot dog, but what really made it happen was that a friend of mine who lives in the greater Dallas, Fort Worth area, Mm -hmm. brought two giant vats of cowboy or Texas caviar, Mm -hmm. which is the bean dip, Mm -hmm. black beans, peppers, onions, uh, black-eyed peas, uh, cilantro. You know this. Mm -hmm. Everybody knows this and putting that over the grilled hot dog was mm. the magic of the tailgate for mm. young malcolm
1: so how so were they like normal size hot dogs they were small ones okay, they were so almost did like you get little like links two, did you have
0: two i had a couple yeah. okay mm-hmm. I, I mean, could, yeah of course you can't just have one i mean one. that
1: sounds like yeah you needed to have more than one of those
0: so i asked my buddy who brought this uh cowboy caviar what mm-hmm. his secret recipe was he said it is low fat, zesty, craft Italian dressing. He hmm. says it does not separate
1: like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. like like
0: the regular. Yeah. Something about the low fat keeps it from separating.
1: I think Dale? it put some sort of emulsifier or something in it to like bind it.
2: I'm not sure. I've never tried <laughs> cowboy caviar. A lot of firsts for me today.
1: So that's a new one
0: for you. It is. Oh great, 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 great. But anyway, that was really fun, and uh, a good time was had by all up in Boonville, which is – that area of the state is the home of the Slug Burger or the Weeks Burger or the Dough Burger. Are you familiar with that?
2: Yes, I actually listened to one of the podcasts from uh, Deep South Dining where you spoke about Slug Burgers. okay.
0: (laughs) But you've never experienced
2: I've it. never experienced one. I've never had one. But now I'm really looking forward to trying one.
0: Excellent, excellent, excellent. A friend of mine was telling me, we were talking about slug burgers um, while I was up there. A friend of mine said his secret ingredient in his slug burgers. Mm-hmm. Now, a slug burger is anywhere from 20% to 50% beef stretched out like a meatball mm-hmm. would be. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, extended with, with a binder and A binder, like, sometimes flour, sometimes soy, uh, soybean, mm, okay. soy meal. But this friend of mine told me his secret was cornflakes. Oh. So there you heard it. Hmm. So next time I make dough burgers, I'll use cornflakes. Corn so He's,
3: he crunches them up or something? Crunches them up
0: okay. in the meat and extends them like you would if you were making a meatloaf mm-hmm. or, or meatballs mm-hmm. and makes a burger out of it. And, and the slug burger has a giant slice of onion, some pickles sometimes, and mustard.
1: Ooh. Mm. That sounds like lunch. Sounds
0: it like It does lunch. sound like lunch.
3: <laughs> not even, yeah. Not, it's not going to hold you. That sounds like lunch. All, all right. right.
0: And today, our special guest, all the way from Brookhaven, Mississippi, mm-hmm. by mm-hmm. way of South Korea and South Africa, we are really happy to have Del Gray with us. She has a new cookbook out entitled South of Somewhere, which I think is a magnificent title for a cookbook, particularly uh, given her journey. But welcome, Dale. We're really happy to have you here.
2: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Yeah, we're excited about your success. And I know, Enrica, you've been following Dale on Instagram even before we talked about this.
2: Yes.
1: When I found out um, that she was coming to the show, I was just like, look, (laughs) I need to be here. I won't be too much of a fangirl, but I have to be in this space because if you don't follow her on Instagram, and I'm going to let her uh, give her Insta handle, but her pictures are absolutely stunning. Like the food, the just the way that they are laid out, the format, and it was just like, wait a minute, she's in Brookhaven? like okay like it's for me it's like right down the street you know but it's just I've just been such a fan of hers for a long time so I'm excited to be here and to meet you
2: that means a lot to me thank you
1: You're welcome. Like, I mean, I'm sorry. I'm gushing. It's good. It's really gorgeous. I'm not saying that because she's here. Like, she was one of the first people that I followed on Instagram because I have an aesthetic of things that I look for. And I can't explain what that Mm -hmm. is. But her Instagram posts, they check off all the boxes.
0: They're beautiful. beautiful. They
1: are. And
0: and my first question actually... Uh, for you is about that I know you take your own Instagram photography most of us do but how much of the photography in the book is yours versus a a professional photographer
2: yes so when I first signed the contract for the book my editor was really adamant that I take most of the photos I could not take all of the lifestyle photos so I had a very good friend Bella Karayanidis come to Mississippi she came for two weeks And she took about 25 of those shots, and 85 are mine. Ah,
0: Mm. I suspected as much. They are quite beautiful. They are. Thank you. They're stunning, and they're also invigorating, and they're stimulating. It makes you want to do exactly what they're meant to do, which is to dig in. And uh, So how did you— let let's go ahead and for our listeners talk about your journey to brookhaven and I, I know it started in south africa so if you would take us quickly and it's quick not quickly but bring us along to how you arrived here
2: sure after i graduated from university in south africa i realized quickly that there wasn't really a future there for me as somebody who was young and who wanted to achieve a certain level of success I thought to myself, I have to go overseas and make a living. I didn't grow up with uh, a lot of money and I had to take care of my family back home. So I chose South Korea to do that. You can go to South Korea and teach English quite easily. And that's what I decided to do. My plan was to stay for one year, Hmm. but I ended up being there for about six years. And in the final year, I met a young soldier from New Orleans and... We just fell in love, and he said, I'm going to marry you one day. I said, maybe not.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Maybe, maybe not.
2: (laughs) Well, after seven months of knowing each other, he proposed, and that's how I ended up in the United States. We found a house in Brookhaven that we really, really loved, and that was the only reason why we moved there. So Brookhaven is home now, and we love it.
0: Well, it's close to Louisiana. and mm-hmm. you, you all are actually married, I believe, on family property in Louisiana.
2: Yes. His parents live in Mount Hermon, mm. and it's about a halfway mark between New Orleans and Brookhaven. That's where we were married. His dad married us. It was a beautiful day. Mm-hmm. Ah,
0: how romantic. <laughs> so you, you just began this cooking posting. When, when did you come up with the notion that if I'm going to be cooking – I should share this. I think I read where you were you were talking about it was a, an inspiration you had sitting under a tree back in South Africa talking to your family that one day you wanted to share your cooking.
2: Well, it's not that I wanted to share my cooking, it's that I wanted to leave South Africa and that I wanted to have a bigger impact and I wanted to leave a legacy. And I wanted to make my mother proud. So my mother and I always had our dreams. And on Sundays, we would sit under a big tree in the yard and talk about what my future would look like. I think she had a lot of hope for me. And that brought me to the States. I think it really became something tangible for me when I realized people were drawn to my cooking and especially my food photography. Hmm. I taught for three years in Hazlehurst, Mississippi. And I don't think that that was something that I was really passionate about. I love children so much, but I wanted to do something more. And that's when I thought, okay, why not share what you're doing anyways, which is cooking all day, every day, (laughs) online. And it just took off from there.
0: Right. Yeah, well, that's sort of a modern way to Mm -hmm. communicate what one is up to, Enrique. And I know that you've had a lot of success by sharing on social media and gathering your people, right?
1: I'm getting better at it because I'm still, uh, not as versed about posting and sharing content as frequent as I should. Um, I think that was part of why I really liked Dale's, um, Insta because it was kind of like a, a boot, like, come on, you need to, you know, (laughs) step it up and do better. But then also, um, just, it's cause it's a science and it's an art to that too because sometimes you can over, you know, share stuff and it kind of gets lost. And then the other times it's just, you know, I think I'm, I'm more infrequent than an oversharer. So I'm trying to find like the middle Mm -hmm. of that and also sharing more of the food. And the one thing about Dale's um, book and also with Instagram is the is the care that she puts into the final presentation of the food, because most of the time I'm caught up in making the final presentation that I I don't think, oh, let me take a picture of this or let me make sure I capture this for Social media or anything. So now I'm starting to get into that because after I'm done with the event, and it's like, oh, I didn't, I didn't take any pictures, and I have no. to solicit pictures. Like, hey, if you went to the thing, can you share some pictures? Can you tag me? Can you send them? So, so I'm learning to do that um, more. Mm. Yeah.
0: So, Dale, how much um, of what you do is 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 about family and your story, as it were?
2: I would say 99% mm-hmm. of it. That's I think that's the reason why I got the cookbook deal in the first place. My editor really felt that my story needed to be told and for years I had shared I had shared so much about how I grew up and all of the places that I had been on Instagram. It only made sense to transition that into something that I mm-hmm. can actually hold in my hands. So a lot of the recipes in the cookbook have a foreword or a caption which has a story mm-hmm, attached to mm-hmm. it. That's what makes it special uh, for me. And a lot of people who have read the book say, Dale, we love your recipes, but the stories are really what yeah. makes it something, yep. you know, great.
0: Right. Yeah, they are. They're quite good. Now, now, this book is was actually published by an imprint of Simon & Schuster, right? Yes. And how did you— you know, happen on to this? Did someone contact you from having seen your Instagram work?
2: That's exactly what happened. My editor, Justin Schwartz with Simon & Schuster, reached out to my agent, Stacy Glick, and said, would you get her on the phone? We need to have a conversation. And we spoke for 30 minutes. And he called me back in about 15 minutes. My agent called me back and said, well, they want you to write a cookbook. Will you do it? I said, absolutely.
0: So you already had an agent?
2: No, I actually hired her the day before.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So as this was all (laughs) unfolding, you thought to yourself, I need an agent.
2: I've always wanted to write a cookbook, and you do need to have a literary agent uh, Mm -hmm. when you write a cookbook. Mm -hmm. So it's something that I had always had in the back of my mind, but it's not something I thought that, happened that quickly.
0: Right. It all sort of fell together pretty quickly.
2: It did. I'm very lucky.
0: Well, you're very talented. Mm-hmm. Talk to us a little bit about this Ubuntu concept that you mm-hmm. r- write about. Obviously, it's very important to you. In the, pref- in the very beginning of the book, you talk about the sense of responsibility.
2: Yes. Ubuntu is a way of life in South Africa. It is simply described as brotherly love. We look out for each other community is so important to us. And I say examples of that can be seen in, you know, being able to go over to your neighbor's house and and borrow a cup of sugar. And people, when they pass each other on the street in South Africa, they'll say hi. And I think that really is what makes the South so wonderful for me because I have that same feeling here, that sense of community, even if it's on a smaller scale, I think certain towns kind of have their different cultures, but I really enjoy it here because of that. Those, those things are similar.
0: Great. So I read that, uh one of the ways that uh, Ubuntu is described is, I am what I am because of who we are. Yes, I it's a, a group really way of thinking. Yes, uh-huh.
2: thinking as a group, not thinking in an individual, individualistic way.
0: Mm-hmm. That's great. So in the, in the book, I, I was so pleased to see that you embraced the Mississippi Comeback Sauce, of course. Oh, my favorite. One of my favorites. So tell me about your relationship with the Comeback Sauce.
2: Well, we put it on everything <laughs> at home. I first had it in New Orleans, actually, similar to a remoulade sauce mm-hmm. with some fried green tomatoes. Ah, yes. And that is my favorite thing to eat here. I I had never had it before. When I tasted it, I was hooked and dipped in that sauce. It's just really special.
0: Now, you use, uh, besides the fried ones, I was I saw in here where you use sort of a marinated uh-huh. green tomato salsa kind of over... Yeah. I believe it was over shrimp or fish Fish. or something. Mm -hmm.
2: So that recipe is a cornmeal crusted fish with a green tomato salsa. And that entire dish was inspired by my favorite fried green tomatoes. Instead of frying the tomatoes, the fish is fried. It's crusted in cornmeal and fried. And you get that whole, it's just, it's fantastic. And I hope that anybody who picks up the book will try that recipe first. Yeah,
0: that's great. It's almost like you reverse the... uh, Yes.
2: Deconstructed,
0: deconstructed uh, mm-hmm. a fried green tomato yes. uh, with fish. Yeah. And you, you said you used tilapia. Do you, I didn't see that you used catfish. Do you use much catfish?
2: I'm not, to be honest with you, I'm not really a fan <laughs> of catfish. I said that you could use tilapia, but I mainly use trout. I mm-hmm. love the, the flavor of trout. It's a really nice and clean taste.
0: Trout as in
2: speckled trout? Yes. Okay, very good. Any the, kind of white fish is mm-hmm, good.
0: Right, mm. right, right. That's good. Now, also, we were when we were talking about the slug burger, weeks burger, dough burger earlier in the show, we began talking about you know extenders, uh, how our parents, grandparents used different extenders uh, to stretch the meat. And uh, I noticed one of your recipes for meatballs, and I'm a huge meatball fan, that you used soaked bread. Because, mm-hmm. and, you, and you kept the meatballs very delicate. I do not like hard-pressed, overworked Dance. meatballs. Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah, same thing.
2: Me either. Yes, I did. That is the way that my grandmother made it, and my mother makes it, and now I make it. They're a little uh, harder to turn over because they are so delicate, but mm-hmm. I think that that end result is just so much better, and it's such a great mouthfeel.
0: Yes, 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 yes. I, I do love that. Enrique, are you a big meatball person?
2: I am.
1: Person?
0: I am. I am a meatball yep. person. A style in particular?
1: Um, For nostalgia's sake, I like Swedish meatballs, mm. like from the Bell's Best Cookbook, like just with the egg noodles. Right. Um, we uh-huh. only. My mom makes those for... Um, Thanksgiving and for Christmas, so I always associate Swedish meatballs as an appetizer. Right. Um uh, sort of thing, but I like um I like meatball subs, but I do like a tender meatball with the marinara on the soft bread because I think sometimes meatballs can get overworked and they're super dense mm-hmm. and then it's just like I'm not enjoying the texture of it. I'm a texture person. Um but I, I like lamb. I like using all kinds yeah. of proteins. I really like if I do lamb, I like a spicy kind of like a um oh my goodness it just it just slipped me. A merguez sausage type of spice uh, blend. Mm. I like lamb. Those are my favorite right now.
0: When I in the 80s uh, I worked with uh uh Mary Tuminella at Tuminella's restaurant in Vicksburg mm-hmm. for a little while and she taught me how to make her meatballs. Uh, which were two-thirds beef, one-third pork, Mm
2: -hmm. ground pork. Mm -hmm.
0: And she used uh, breading and eggs. Mm -hmm. And she she had this way in which you were to construct the meatball, which was you were to have running water going at all times and keep your hands Hands wet mm -hmm. so that the meat would not stick to your hands. And she would harp on... Not pressing them too tight, she said, because they become hard as brickbats. And this is what she, I would hear her talking. Do not overwork the meatballs. They become brick hard as
1: brickbats. No one wants a brickbat.
0: <laughs> All right. Okay, so we're going to take a break. And uh, we will return uh, with Del Gray on our show this morning. So glad that she's joined mm-hmm. us. Malcolm White, Java Chapman. Chef Enrica Williams. We're so glad y'all are all here. And our special guest today is uh, Dale Gray from... Hazelhurst, Mississippi.
3: She has a new book, cookbook out called South of Somewhere. And I believe, Java, you had a question for Dale. Yeah, I did have a question. I did want to circle back for anybody who was wondering about brick bats. A brick bat is a piece of brick typically when used as a weapon. So that is not <laughs> something assault. that is not something that you would want on your plates. <laughs> no. A meatball that oh God, no. that, 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 that <laughs> akins to a brick bat. No. So that's that's more that Old folk talk.
2: (laughs) Thanks for clarifying. I I have no idea. I do not want anything.
3: Everybody was not. Verse well versed on what is a brickbat? Can
1: you imagine, like, ooh? But some some meatballs are <laughs> oh, are, are, are like that, though. Some meatballs are like that. I've had them. <laughs> no amount of sauce has saved them. I have had them.
3: Oh but, my goodness! But Dale, I did have a question because you know you've been privileged to live in uh, several different places. Um, does South Africa and South Korean? Cuisines, um, You know, have like a unique style and flavor distinct from other regions of those places. You know how American, like the South, we have our own kind of way of cooking and flavors and things like that. Is the same thing true for South Africa and uh, South Korea?
2: So they call South Africa the Rainbow Nation because we are a group of people from all over the place. So our food is so diverse, Mm -hmm. but in my culture specifically, which is Cape Malay, a lot of the food has an element of sweetness to it with a lot of fruit being incorporated. So there are a lot of sweet and savory flavors. In South Korea, I kind of found the same thing. Korean food is really, really balanced. If you first try it, I think... You might get overwhelmed by the spice, but as your palate develops and you you gain an understanding of the ingredients, I think there's such harmony in Korean food. And they also use a lot of ingredients like pears, Asian pears and apples Mm -hmm. in order to create a a balance in their Mm. cooking.
0: Yeah. So you've covered a lot in this cookbook. It's amazing uh, all of the culture in which you have been able to sort of work into this book. I mean, what a great journey you've been on. And uh, I know growing up in South Africa, there was a cuisine and a culture and a storytelling tradition. But when you got to South Korea uh, and what you thought was going to be this one year, what was that experience like?
2: It was terrifying. (laughs) But I think I learned so much that, and that pushing myself to become a better version of myself being on your own will really force you to grow up really quickly. Mm-hmm. So I, my mother had always taken care of us. Now I was on my own. And I had to learn all kinds of things that I had no clue how to do. But I worked for about 14 hours every day in the first year. And it was really draining, but also invigorating. Mm-hmm. And one year just turned into two because I like that feeling of independence. Mm. And I liked that I was making enough to take care of my family in South Africa. Mm-hmm.
0: Have you found any ingredients that sort of uh, carried through, through all, of, all of these places in the South? believe that you've lived.
2: <laughs> I would just say fru- definitely fruit and yeah. nuts. And there's a lot of that in the cookbook. I try and incorporate a lot of that in the recipes.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, I mentioned before the break that you could get the book at Lemuria. I was in there yesterday, and actually, your book is one of the picks of one of their employees. Mm-hmm. So it's in the front under pick, favorite pick. So you should, if you haven't planned to go by, you might want to go by and sign some books. And
2: I think I'll definitely do that today see. after the
0: show. <laughs> You're sort of featured at the Lemuria wow. in front Thanks of the Lemuria. store there. Yeah, 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 yeah. So um, talk about dietary uh, things, like in each country, in each place that you've lived and worked, Is there more focus or less focus on dietary and uh, more and more today than maybe early when you got started?
2: I'm not sure, really,
0: people being conscious of you think about when you're cooking low fat or less sugar or less butter, or is it just you cook what you cook the way you cook it, and let let the fat fall where it may
2: i think it I think in South Korea, people were more conscious mm-hmm. of what they ate, for instance, in South Africa, we would have a very sweet dessert on a Sunday mm-hmm. after our main meal which is in the book. I uh, It's called Malfa Pudding, and it's the most recognized South African dessert. It's quite sweet. It's a lot of sugar and evaporated milk reduced. In Korea, you would have a bowl of fruit for dessert uh,
0: hmm.
2: or a bowl of cherry tomatoes, for that matter, which mm. is now one of my favorite things to snack on. Wow.
0: Have you gotten into the southern pie, cobbler, cake sort of... Traditions.
2: I do. I'm very lucky in that I have a wonderful mother-in-law who has taught me all manner of Southern recipes. Mm. So when it comes to family gatherings here in the South, I'm usually on dessert. And I know it's not a pie, but my banana pudding is top notch. That is a
1: huge honor. Because everybody in Java is nodding his head in agreement, you don't you don't trust everyone to do the dessert. So that is that is a high esteemed honor That's for true. you. I'm to, really Yeah, really to thankful. have that. I am not the dessert person in my family, hmm. and you're culinary trained, and I'm culinary <laughs> trained. I, hmm. I know I know my strengths. You know I, I I cook terrible rice. I know my Achilles heels.
0: You know I used to cook terrible rice, and then I started following the instructions. <laughs> And it blew me away. You know, I used to just kind of throw stuff. The a way suggestion. I cook
1: is—I mean, it, is, it It is. It, it, it helps.
0: But with rice, it yeah. seemed to work versus it what does. I was doing, which was gummy or too moist, oh, yeah, or my, too dry. Yeah. Or, you know, yeah. my wife is a great rice cooker. I think you just have a feel for. I it.
1: definitely I think you have a feel for it because I don't have the feel for it. I can do great grits though. I can do good grits. I don't know.
2: That's one thing that I picked up in South Korea. Is just use the rice cooker.
1: Yeah, yeah, I have one of those because I got tired of people requesting things with rice, and I'm like, okay, so I'm like, this rice will not fail. I'm going to put this in this rice cooker, and, it, and the grains will be separate and <laughs> not mushy. And i
0: tell you, that Mississippi rice that uh, that we've been blessed with receiving two here. Two Brook Farms. Uh, two Brooks, my goodness, that's yes. good I have stuff. not
1: had And I'll that tell you, there's a real
0: rice. difference between grocery store rice yes, and is. Two Brook Mm. Mississippi raised And several you, other local farmers. Do you know Dale? i Dale? I've, I've heard of them, mm-hmm. yes. Yeah. Do you have a favorite uh, rice cooker? Did, I mean, I know there must be many. I don't have a rice cooker, so I'm looking for suggestions here.
2: Well, a lot of appliances now are multifunction. Yep. So you could put rice in an Instant Pot, for instance, and press the rice setting. Yeah. and yeah. That seems hey, so easy. I, I have a, I have,
1: my, my, um, I have a small Insta Pot. That's a rice cooker. It's supposed to be rice in a grain cooker, and that's and I bought it with the purpose because it had the rice function on it. Yeah.
3: Go ahead, Java. Now, Dale, I did have a, a question, and I guess it's more about you and maybe even your personality because you've been, you know, you're born in South Africa, spent some time in South Korea, now in uh, the American South, and it seems like you really. Um, dive headfirst into the culture of the places where you where you are are living and staying what what instilled that in you because you know some people can live places and they stick to you know chains Mm -hmm. when it comes to food and you know keep everything real plain inside their palate but you've stepped out and you know done different things and what what brought that about
2: I can absolutely credit that to my upbringing and because South Africa is so diverse, you have the experience, you have the opportunity to experience so many different cuisines in one place. And so I was always an adventurous eater and I really love trying different flavors, different textures and things like that. And also my mother who always said, well, just go ahead and try it, Mm -hmm. you know.
3: Is that something that you're trying to get people to do with the book, the different recipes, and kind of maybe step outside of the box a little bit, step outside their comfort zone?
2: Yes, a lot of the recipes might seem odd at first, but I encourage everyone to just give it a try. Sometimes you you surprise yourself with mm-hmm. what, you know, which flavors go mm-hmm. together. So I really hope that they would try something that they've never tried before and maybe find a new family favorite.
1: Yeah and that was part of the cookbook what i enjoyed and what i appreciated was it was definitely it wasn't fusion like sometimes i think cookbooks try to force a particular cuisine or style or just a a theme and this felt very familiar but it also gave insight into some of your personality and the why and the how did you cook things. And it was also things that were different, like either in the ingredients or preparation and even the description of the name. And I'm like, oh, that sounds like something that's relatable to what I've had. So it felt really Intimate, and it felt very, it felt like a passion project. Like this cookbook, like this is some of you. This isn't just at the insistence of um, an editor saying, hey, write a cookbook, like because it's not an intimidating cookbook and it's not, um, it's just well thought out, it's just well put together. Like there are things that even for me and I always wanting to learn and, and find new ingredients. I was just looking through it. I'm like, okay, okay, I need to, to try that. I, okay, I have, I've heard of this. Oh, I can apply it in this way. So it's like it's not just for home cooks. I think it's just for everyone. It's for professionals. It's for, you know, bloggers, food, um, influencers. It's for everyone. This this is a very wow. gorgeous book. Thank
2: you. My it's goal, well done. My goal has always been to yeah. create approachable recipes that anybody can recreate at home.
0: What about ingredients? Have you struggled to find some of the ingredients that you're accustomed to using, or has it been relatively easy to find the ingredient or a substitute?
2: When I first moved to Mississippi 12 years ago, it was harder to Mm -hmm. find, especially ingredients like kimchi. Mm -hmm. So I used to go downtown to a little store in Macomb, and I used to ask the lady who owned the the store in Korean, please Do you have any kimchi to spare? I am really craving it, and I can't make it yet because I can't find the ingredients. Mm -hmm. And then my husband and I actually took road trips to Houston Mm -hmm. where they had more of a variety, and we stocked up for a few months.
0: That was Edie's store, right? Yes. Unfortunately, it's not there anymore, is it? Oh, I
2: see. It was a little grocery
0: store and cafe in downtown Macomb. I
2: was just writing it down to say.
0: I I hope I'm wrong, but I I think it's not there anymore. But I know that Edie was— and, and her partner were doing that um, But anyway What's going on What What's next Do you have yes. a next Or are you just so immersed into this That right now you're not thinking about a next
2: Right now I'm really focused on Telling people about the book And after that I'm looking forward To taking a little break When you test 100-plus recipes over the course of two years, you just grow a little tired, (laughs) (laughs) and you want to spend some time out of the kitchen. So we're thinking of an overseas trip somewhere in the near future, Hmm. and we'll go from there.
0: Do you garden also?
2: I do. I'm so inspired by Mississippi gardeners, Mm -hmm. by the beautiful tomatoes and watermelons that we can find here in our Mm -hmm. state. So this year I attempted to garden and I grew some tomatoes and I had maybe 500 tomatoes out of my very tiny garden. It was heaven.
0: (laughs) You know, that, that whole stretch of Mississippi sort of from Terry down to Macomb used to be a real bread basket or a garden basket uh, of, of this world. And we shipped a lot of our tomatoes, squash, cucumbers, peppers mm-hmm. up north on the railroad. And there would be an ice plant mm-hmm. and then a shipping facility. And the f- local farmers would all grow cucumbers, tomatoes, squash, watermelons, and bring them in and process them and put them on the trains and ship them up north. And that was a huge industry back, back in the day.
2: That is so interesting. I'm really in awe of the produce in Mississippi. Mm -hmm.
0: Well, we have great summers with great heat and humidity, and we normally get a lot of rain. This Mm -hmm. has been sort of a lark this summer. We just really (coughs) haven't had the rain. I'm shocked how good your tomatoes did, because most everybody I talked to, their tomatoes were devastated by the lack of rain. You must have stayed on top of the water.
2: I did a lot of research, and it was really important for me to succeed, so...
0: Yeah, What what kind of tomatoes did you grow?
2: Oh, I grew a bunch of heirloom varieties, Mm -hmm. brandy wine tomatoes, and uh, crumb tomatoes. Better boys do really well here. I like Mm -hmm. better boys.
0: What about the creoles? Have you ventured into the creoles?
2: I don't think I grew creoles this year. I grew a variety of cherry tomatoes, though, all colors. And you can see some of those photos on my Instagram. Mm
0: -hmm. Enrica, what are your favorite tomatoes of this part of the world?
1: I like... um, the um the Cherokee um tomatoes. The purple. The purple ones. Um the the most favorite thing that I've ever had with those is that um I took a fork, smushed it, and smushed is a culinary term. <laughs> is that I, old school yeah, a yeah, term? Uh, Java, is
3: that a, a contemporary <laughs> term?
0: That,
1: that
3: goes in old school Old school, okay. So I
1: put it in a bowl, so I smushed, I had a little bit of um salt and I used um it was a sherry wine um vinegar and and made like this chunky vinaigrette out of it and just mm. tossed it with just some simple butter um lettuce and just the vinaigrette was very chunky and it had some shaved um shallots and torn um mint and basil
0: How do you shave a shallot
1: With a mandolin the, or you the, know a little nice
0: run them up and down Uh-huh yeah. Yeah. But not chopped,
1: shaved. No, shaved. Mm. Wow. And because and, and, and they, when I shave them so thin, and then like with everything, they don't melt because they're raw, but they're so thin mm. that, you they know, almost just, they yes. meld with everything else. But those Cherokee, the tomato vinaigrette, to me, that that just sticks in my mm. mind. But I love doing like a panzanella with um, I love panzanella. I like, I like putting watermelon in it because we're here in Mississippi, so you have to, you know, do that. And, uh,
0: Watermelon panzanella
2: Yes
1: Bread
0: salad do you, Sounds do you, delicious Do you do bread salads?
2: I do occasionally
0: mm-hmm. Do you have a kind of bread Now that you live in Hazelhurst That you like to use? In Brookhaven I'm sorry Brookhaven
2: <laughs> Well I I bake my own sourdough From time to time oh,
1: Alright di-
3: Go ahead Joe Well I was just going to say Dale um, you, you know you've been here In Mississippi for What you said 12 years Um A, a normal uh, evening uh, meal at the at the Gray House is it South African, South Korean? Are you you know fully Mississippi when you cook? Uh, what's you know what's what's the normal uh, meal at the house?
2: A normal meal at the house is ninety nine percent of the time South Korean.
3: Mm. Ah, okay. Yes,
2: it's surprising to a lot of people, but we just love it so much. Mm-hmm. That's where my husband and I met, mm-hmm. and we really, we just love the flavors.
0: Oh, wow. Okay. And you use a lot of chicken thighs, too, which I love the chicken thighs. Me, too.
2: I do. They are just more flavorful, mm-hmm. and it's not not difficult to cook them. Yep. It's, uh, not how do you say it's easy to overcook a chicken breast yes
1: it is
0: yes and it becomes dry yes it does kind of a mess uh-huh but not a thigh Do you you ever use the boneless thighs, or do you like the one with the bone in?
2: Absolutely. I think it's more economical, and I've been doing this for a few years, and I credit my mother for this. She always taught us how to be economical and how to use every part of an animal. So Mm -hmm. I buy a whole chicken, and then I portion it out myself, Mm -hmm. and I will sometimes debone the thighs and package them separately.
3: Yeah.
0: You know, we were talking about how dry the, the breast can be. I'll tell you, a, a, a cut of hand-cut chicken that I love is the pulley bone. And, you know, that's the little breast, the two little bones on the oh, breast. I
2: see. My mother's favorite part yeah, as well. Yeah,
0: the pulley bone. And I also love the oyster, which is that little, uh, I
2: like the oyster. The little
0: piece of meat in the, in the dark on the yes, thigh. Yes,
1: that so, is my favorite,
3: too. Java, you got a favorite piece of chicken? That little, I know what you're talking about. That <laughs> little, little nugget. Oyster, that you little, like the that oyster? That little nugget right there. <laughs> <laughs> that is something. <laughs> now, Dale, before we get out of here, we've been talking about this beautiful Instagram, and we never gave the handle.
1: Absolutely give the handle.
2: Yes, you can find me on Instagram at The Daily Plate, Dale, like you spell my name, D-A-L-E-Y, The Daily Plate, at The Daily Plate on Instagram and Facebook. And I also have my blog, www.thedailyplate.com. Wow.
0: The first time I looked for the Instagram, I spelled daily incorrectly, and I was like, I used the I, and I was like, I'm stumped here. And then I figured it out. Ah, oh, it's her name. So thanks so much for coming today, and great success with the book and all of your other endeavors. You're delightful soul, mm-hmm. and we were glad to have you.
2: Thank you so much for having me. <clears throat>
0: Enrica, thank you for being here. Carol is away. She'll be back next week. It's been a joy yes. having you here. Thank as, you. Uh, with us today. Deep South Dining is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting's Think Radio. We are funded by the Generous Contributions from listeners like yourself, and we thank you. Our show is produced by Java Chapman, For my co-host, Chef Enrica Williams, and our guest today, Dale Gray. I'm Malcolm White, and we ask that you now stay tuned for Marshall Ramsey's show, followed by Southern Remedy at 11. And please join us every Monday for more Deep South Dining heard on MPB Think Radio on Mondays and Sunday mornings at 9.